0: Welcome to episode 14 of the ZA Dev Chat Podcast. Tonight we're going to be chatting to Len about Docker. So from the offset, I just want to admit, I've looked at Docker once or twice and that was it. Um, so I'm I'm not only going to be acting as the ignorant one, I truly am. The ignorant one in this case. Um, so tonight we've also got Peter on the show again, as always. Peter. Hello. And then obviously Len. So Len, you did a talk um, at, w- w- where did you do your Docker talk now recently? Oh, well, how's it everyone? Uh,
1: we've recently started the Docker Johannesburg meetup in association with Docker themselves. So Oh, awesome. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool.
0: Where where are you guys hosting that meetup? Uh, Wherever we can uh, find uh, locations and premises. Is it a a monthly thing so far, or you guys have just had one and you want to see how the interest goes? Well, we're
1: going to have, look, there's a lot of interest. Docker is huge, so we're definitely
0: going to have a monthly one. Okay. Awesome. Um, and yeah, just, you know, right at the start of the show, is there anywhere where people, people can sign up for like events? Is it hosted on meetup? Yeah, it's, it's on meetup, uh, Docker Johannesburg. Yeah. Awesome. So Len, you want to give us a, a quick intro to what, what Docker is and why it's important? Sure thing.
1: Um, if I, if I keep, uh, Cutting out to whatever, it's because I got a bad cough and I'm just saving your ears from, you know, the the decibel impact. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Um, Yeah, Docker is very, very interesting. And um, one of the slides I saw recently was saying that something like 97% of all enterprises reckon that they're interested and they're going to be looking into docker so it's it 's apparently one of the most um, it, it's rated the highest in the survey where people asked enterprises what technologies they were they were going to look at, and and docker has beaten everything so it really is quite a phenomenon i don 't know when when did you first hear of docker stephen
0: um, I actually think it was at the uh... Josie.rB group um, when I think it was Kenneth and Kevin did a quick overview uh, uh, Kenneth comma and, and um, Kevin McKelvin did a quick overview of docker and what it could do and what it couldn't do but I mean that must have been uh, must have been about a year ago um, I actually think yeah, you that, were that there. was 18 months, yeah, was, it was uh, 18 months already geez
1: like yeah that was before Christmas 2014. Oh sorry. yeah yeah uh, yeah 20, 20, 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it was that, that far ago yeah that's right and then i gave the talk on golang
0: and i missed oh. that one yeah cuz i think the golang talk was the very next was the very next one and i was I, I, I was sick that's right, that's right. <laughs> i was sick so i missed that on that one so what exactly does docker do
1: all right. Um, well, I, I quite like that format where you try and tell me what you think it is, and I'll I'll correct you. How about that? <laughs> I think I think because you know I could launch off on some kind of big explanation, but let me let me try and ground that by uh, trying to have an actual meaningful explanation for you, with you know, okay,
0: that relates to what you know about Docker. Okay, awesome. So my, my understanding of Docker. So initially, I thought Docker was just the new vagrant. And from what I do remember um, at Kenneth and Kevin's talk was that it, not quite. So my understanding of Docker is pretty much you can build up a mini virtualized server, but the server only runs... oh Wow, this, this is coming out at. The server only runs the, the the like the core essentials, so let's say I wanted an ubuntu i, I wanted to virtualize an ubuntu server i could right. i could have that block i think they're called so you you have blocks within within docker so say so cool i want Ubuntu, but you know the, if I wanted to try and and connect to this virtualized server there would be no ui available there would be very very little it's it's the absolute yeah. like core and then i could add little building blocks on top of that so if i wanted to set up something like uh, nginx with a very specific setup that i would use that same setup across different projects i could then just kind of smush these together and magically, when I launch a new um, uh, server on whatever hosting platform, I can just say, hey, here's my Docker files. And then I don't even have to worry about setting up like chef scripts or puppet scripts mm. or stuff like that. Am I close? Okay. <laughs> well, I, I think you're definitely in the ballpark. And I think
1: um, that, that's a nice way to start getting into it. So, um, you know, you mentioned Ubuntu as as a kind of virtual machine or something. Now, it's important to try and consider what is the value of of a machine with an operating system on it to us. Not not much really, right? We we want something else. We we're, we're not interested in a machine with windows on it or a machine with unix on it. That's you know, that's like the car. What what are we actually doing with this thing is much more important to us. So the the first kind of big thing that docker is about is packaging up applications. So traditionally, you're going to follow that route you just mentioned, which is I'm going to go and get myself uh, a Linux machine, and then I'm going to connect to it and install a whole lot of software inside it, right? I mean, how how do
0: you guys deploy software where you work currently, Stephen? Uh, Well, we've got a whole pipeline. Um, So at the moment, we're using Octopus Deploy to actually... Uh, deploy the files to a server that's already been set up. Um, at our right, place. so so that,
1: that server's yeah. in production, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and that, that took quite a bit of effort to get that server like in production for a start, right? Correct. And then there's yeah. somebody's got admin access or maybe a whole bunch of people have admin access. I mean, that's pretty common. And and people are, you know, they're hoying all sorts of stuff onto the server. And hopefully by hook or by crook, some somehow this application is going to, to live on that server. And over time we keep um kind of updating bits of that server to update the application, right? Correct, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and that and that server starts to atrophy over time. It needs quite a lot of love and attention and we've got these ops guys who supposedly kind of look after it. Either that or the or the dev guys have to look after this this server and it's it can be quite um quite a job to to keep an application alive on on a server over time, so one of the first things that Doc is saying is like that's that's kind of messy we don't We don't want that. We don't want first of all things to be changing in production. So we want to go to production with um, the whole operating system and the application packaged up already. So you know, there's this very interesting point of view that says you should be delivering out of your build server, not just like an exe or a jar file or whatever it is that your your build server produces. But what you should be delivering is an actually uh, is actually a pre-built machine with with everything that is needed to run that application. So when you hand it over, let's say I'm in ops, when you hand it over to me to run in production. I don't really care what you've been up to in development. All I want is is a standardized machine image that I can start up in production, that runs an application that does something useful. Like like I said at the beginning, it's important to think that um, just a machine with an operating system on it isn't very useful to us. Yeah. Um, so we want that application running. Okay. So so it's it's really about application packaging. So I, I want. A machine already packaged with all your application stuff kind of baked into it already. does that make sense?
0: It does, but it doesn't quite answer so a question I've still got floating around in my head and I'm pretty sure that it's been covered before, but i, I honestly I can't remember the answer. So what exactly is the different difference between docker and vagrant? I mean, isn't vagrant just a just a a virtual machine? That you set up, that you can package, that you can hand out to people when and where required. Um, what, what makes Docker so special? A um, couple of
1: things. So, firstly, you've got those, um, what are they called, dot box files in Vagrant. Is that what you're talking about with the, the things that you can give to other people?
0: So to be honest with you, the amount of Vagrant I've used is I used Vagrant on one project, which was um, (laughs) the Ghost development platform. So I was contributing to Ghost and they said, well, the best way to do it is to clone this, which has got a Vagrant box and you essentially just type Vagrant up and then magically yeah. you have this virtual server that you can SSH into, you can do everything you need to, and it kind of eliminated that excuse of, oh, but this worked on my machine when I tested
2: it. You know? yeah, Right. Literally. So uh, Vagrant actually does use um, this box format. Yeah.
1: So th- that's very close, Stephen. That's really very close. There's a couple of very neat optimizations that Docker adds into the mix there, um, which we can get into, but... That's essentially the idea. You've got this machine. It's packaged up in a file somewhere, and I can give it to you, and you can run it. That's that's pretty cool. That's that's another way to look at Docker. Um, how big was that Ghost image that you used in Vagrant? I'm, I'm assuming it was a good couple of hundred megs, right?
0: Uh, I can't remember. It was a while ago. I, if I remember correctly, it was like 250 or. Something like that, Meg. I could be completely exaggerating the size, but you know. Yeah. Like I yeah. said, I, so was, I remember it took a while to download.
1: Yeah. So one of the first optimizations that the Docker guys have built in is they've used something called the Union file system. And what this Union file system allows them to do is to take a base image, let's say the Ghost machine that you were working with, ran on top of Ubuntu. Now, there's a standard Ubuntu base image, and then uh, layers can get added on top of that uh, base image. And if you've got the Ubuntu base image and you want my ghost image, all I need to do is send you the layers that are added onto the Ubuntu base image, which turns out in a lot of cases to be very small, to be a couple of megs, in fact. So instead of you going and every time you want a new virtual box machine, downloading two three hundred megs, as long as you've got the the base image, as a kind of image inheritance here for the programmers. Uh, I, all I need to send you is the extra bits that get layered on top of that image. That's a that's a very neat optimization that the Docker guys have done.
0: So if if I'm understanding this correctly, I can have so let's say the base. I, I, I just want to make sure I've got my terminology here. So the different little blocks I can plug in are, are referred to as layers in Docker? Yep. Okay, awesome. So if I have an Ubuntu layer and Peter has, has organized this really awesome NGINX setup that it does load balancing, you know, depending on what app you've got deployed, and I now want to pull that into, you know, I, I, want, I want to use that layer now. I can literally just, he can give me that layer and I can apply it on my projects and, you know, that base Ubuntu layer that I had will now have Nginx layered on top of that with his custom setup, correct?
1: That's absolutely correct. So we, we can talk a little bit about how these images are built because that's kind of fundamental to the way the Docker works. Okay. So there's there's two ways you can build an image. The one is you can start up the, the base Ubuntu image with, let's say, Nginx installed on it. You start it up and you, just as in Vagrant, you kind of SSH into it, right? Um, start up that image, copy your website, your actual application onto that image. Then underneath the covers you can, or say in another terminal you can snapshot that running machine. This is kind of this neat feature in Docker. You can say, all right, I've got everything in the right place. I want to make a copy of it of it as it is. So I can make a copy, and, and the Docker environment is clever enough to say, okay, you you're coming from this base image, and all you've done is add this bit of content into the file system. So in effect... All I need to do is store that extra bit of content that you added into the image, and then you can name that image. you can say right, I want to call this you know Stevens application uh, and I can have it in the list of images that are available for creating new virtual machines from are you with me so far that's pretty yeah, cool yeah. so. Yeah. Now, that, that, that's kind of tedious because I've got to start this machine and copy. It's a pretty manual process. So the the easier way to do that in Docker is to create something called a Docker file. So in the in the root of your project or wherever you are, you create this Docker file. And Docker files are very, very simple. They generally start off with the, the first line in the file says, from, and it gives the name of a base image. So you can say, from Ubuntu. Um, So then we're now building a new image and we're going to layer things on top of the Ubuntu image. So so bring in the Ubuntu image. Next thing I want to do is run some command like copy some files into this image or install a package, install Nginx inside this image. And each of those, and, and that's just kind of listed out inside the Docker file. If you look at a Docker file, they they're generally very easy to read. Um, some of them get big though, but but they're pretty straightforward. So you'll say, from Ubuntu, run this command: apt-get install nginx. Then I want to copy my actual website into the image. And the final thing to to understand about Docker with for, with with regards building the images is that when you start a container from the image, you get the chance to run a single process inside that container, so whatever your application might be. So generally, the last line in the Docker file will be the command that you want to run, like NGINX itself. Let's let's just say that's the command we want to run, and that's our Docker file, and then in Docker, the process of creating an image is called building an image, and we'll say, great. Docker, build me um, an image based off this Docker file, and I want to call it, you know, Stephen's cool app. Um, and you can tag these uh, images as well. If you don't supply a tag, it's generally called latest. So if you look at, like, the list of images or whatever that are available for Ubuntu, you'll see Ubuntu colon latest. Or else you, you, can, you can tag them and you know guys might tag the images with the build number in the build server or you know the the version control hash for the ver- for the code that's gone into that that image um, so if you if you imagine my my build server is is running the docker build every time there's a change and it's building these uh, these images so i might end up with a list of you know 20 30 images during the day as code's being checked in each image is, of course, only a few megs in size because it's just the the diff from the base image. Making sense so far?
0: It is. Uh, to me, it's sounding like package management for hardware. So similar to your, you know, in Node, you'd have your, your packages of JSON and in .NET, you'd have your, your NuGet packages. This is just like right, the right. hardware version of it, right? Well, including your application, Right. Yeah. So, yes, for example, yes. like, you know, I was talking
1: to uh, Josh Lewis in Slack the other day about he, he's trying to build an ASP uh, application in a Docker container. Okay. So he, his Docker file reads from Ubuntu uh, from Microsoft slash ASP or colon ASP. That's the base image that he starts off from, right? And then he's doing um, what's a DNU restore. I don't know all
0: the the Microsofty stuff. And I think Glenn is having a bit of a cough. <laughs> Don't die, Len. Don't die. Stay with us. Oh, I'm back. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you, yeah. you were saying uh, Josh was, was building stuff, um, and he was pulling in from DNU, yeah?
1: Yeah. So so that image is, you know, of, of course, it's a Microsoft image, and it's 700 mm-hmm. meg in size. It's completely nuts. But then he just simply adds, like, ASP stuff, uploads code into that image, and finally runs the little ASP web server as the last command in that uh, image definition. So it's more than just hardware. It's it's the hardware plus all the software up to the point where your application is running.
0: Basically, you're, you're now controlling, you're actually deploying a production server.
1: That's right. So now once Josh has finished that, he just simply gives me that final image. Of his now, let's say I already had the Microsoft ASP base image. His changes might be ten, twenty meg. That's all he has to actually copy across to me. Um, I can then run his application without knowing anything about what goes on in Josh's application. I don't need to know how to install any of that stuff that he does, and I, I don't even know to, need to know how ASP.NET works. I simply get that image from him,
0: and I can say Docker run image so two things from that one i had no idea that microsoft had actually um i knew that microsoft and docker had now partnered with some of the new azure stuff but i falsely assumed that that was just so that you could run your docker files on azure because when you launch new azure stuff you can set up an ubuntu server stuff like that um my question is, however, so let's say I'm running an ubuntu server i have I have my server at Cloud Africa, and I get josh's um, asp net um, um, docker file now. would I actually be able to host no, no you don't
1: get his docker file, you get
0: the actual image that he's built yeah okay cool yeah, so so I, I get that image. Would I then be able to essentially host a a net application running in a Windows base off of an Ubuntu server? Or no. is that just one step so this, too far? This is, all <laughs> the,
1: this is all the open source um, .NET stuff that's running under Linux. Oh,
0: okay, okay. This
1: is, cool. this is not a Windows
0: machine. Oh, okay. I, I got a little yeah. bit excited there thinking. So long long term, I know that there, there, there's cool stuff that's gonna be awesome. I just thought that like right now we could deploy stuff because oh that would that would open a lot of doors. <laughs>
1: Well it, well, it already has. I mean, you can take uh, a lot of your C-sharp code and stuff today and deploy it into Linux containers. I mean, Peter can talk to that a bit more. But, uh, you know, the, the runtimes that, that host that uh, C-sharp code or ASP code exist in Linux. So it, it makes no difference to you as a developer. You can develop in Windows, and that's fine, and just use one of these Docker containers as a target. It doesn't matter to you that that it's a Linux box,
0: Peter have you used docker at all yet No, I haven't hmm. so both of us are, are a little bit in the dark, here. <laughs> I was kind of hoping with the open source stuff you'd done that you'd been that you'd been that you'd been exposed to um to docker um so I had another question, but it wasn't regarding vagrant what was it um so docker. Azure, we can deploy. We can basically deploy a full new production server, and there's no longer this thing of we're not. Um, oh, shit! We're gonna have to edit this part out. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> like, I had let's, such, let's I had such an the... awesome question, and then it just yeah, yeah. slipped. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll, get it. you'll get it. Yeah, it will. Let's it will. This from a from a different angle,
1: right? What? Like, what makes Docker kind of more efficient slash better, or whatever, than just pure virtual machines? Like, why Docker from from that perspective? Okay, we've covered images and packaging up, up applications. That's great. But what about, like, why don't I just use Vagrant or VMware or whatever other kind of hypervisor yeah, so qu- to run my
0: machines, right? So, my question was going to be, sorry, 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 and it kind of ties into what you were saying now. So docker is awesome and it's great and it's wonderful yay um but isn't this solving the same problem that chef and and puppet solved so you would set up a a script and and again just you know disclaimer i've never actually used chef and Puppet. i know about this from from talks that i've watched and and from guys at platform 45 and from the likes of kenneth that you would have a base Ubuntu server, and you would say, "Hey, here's my Chef script. You know, Chef script, install my stuff," and you'd walk away. You know, the, the only difference I've well, seen yeah, with Docker sure. here is that your actual application also gets deployed along with the you know the setup of your production server. So there's there's two
1: differences there.
0: One is. Chef and
1: Puppet are like automating manual tasks that would go on in production, right? We're still going into production servers. We're still connecting to them, and we're changing production servers. So the first difference is Docker says, no, that's wrong. What we want is we want production to be immutable. We do not want anybody going into production servers for any reason whatsoever to change anything because then we lose track of, of our kind of integrity. How do I know that what what you built in dev is what's running in production if people can just log into production and change stuff? You know, they're, they're changing the environment. They might be changing environment variables. Who knows what they're changing? We just don't want people to change production, right? It's It's... It's like the root cause of so many bugs and site downtimes and oh my lord, you know. I mean, programmer bugs actually account for so little production downtime because we can catch them early, right?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. You know, we just don't deploy that stuff to production. But, you know, I mean, sysadmins are responsible for enormous amounts of, of downtime. So we want to get away from that manual thing. So Chef and Puppet and things were an attempt to kind of formalize that what the sysadmin did was kind of written down somewhere and it ran in exactly the same way every time. Um, Docker is, so that's the first kind of difference. Docker says I want immutable infrastructure. Second difference is that the responsibility shifts back to development for building the images. It's no longer an ops issue. If I'm an ops guy, it's like I don't care uh, what you're doing you're going to give me a container and to me from an ops point of view all containers look the same i don't really don't care whether you're writing a Node.js app whether you're writing stuff in mono whether you're using event store i do not care you're going to give me containers and i'm going to run and manage containers my life in ops becomes completely uniform and like much more manageable in fact so from from you
0: know just what i'm thinking now in in the situation that I work in, at the client that I work at, obviously, you know, deploying uh, um, stuff on a corporate network is very different to when you're when you're not sitting behind all the red tape of a large corporate. If you've got somebody who specialises in DevOps, and there are specific um, tweaks that need to be made, so let's say they need to go and set up some fancy hardware stuff. You know, I'm going to make this as generic as possible. Um, you'd actually have your your DevOps team, and well, not your DevOps, your 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 Ops team, and your developers working closer together in setting up these Docker images. Cor- uh, these Docker yeah images, correct? Well, it's I mean,
1: it, it is a can of worms. Without your you know, this is a minefield you're walking into. So there's there's a kind of view that says, um, sys- admins, DevOps, all these kind of things, it's it's obsolete, right? It's a bit old school, and you don't actually need them at all. What do you need them for? We, we, we're just automating the heck out of this thing. My build server is going to run some tests. It says it's okay. It builds the image. It calls an API. I mean, our sysadmin is now an API. It calls an API, and it says, could you please start a new container based off of this image? There's no, you don't need people for this. In fact, you don't want people for this. Once the build server's finished, like, what do you need people for?
0: So I'm purely just thinking for the guys that know more about networking and they want specific, I don't know, DNS settings. Well, not DNS, I mean, that's... that's...
1: Yeah, but this, you know, they, 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 that, that whole thing's obsolete. I mean, network automation... You're going to call your cloud stack APIs or whatever it is, OpenStack, VMware, whatever, AWS, and you're just going to say, I want this guy deployed in this network. And most of that's going to be dictated by developers. Not, You really don't need ops and DevOps and things anymore. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 if you go and like look around in YouTube and things, there are a lot of... Videos coming out of Facebook and
0: Google where you know they they're talking about post ops now. Okay, I haven't seen any of it, but I'll definitely check it out. It it just seems it just seems so weird. I mean, so as as a dev, I haven't I've never really focused on the you know on the setup of of servers really. Um, that to me has always been you know you struggle to get it up and running once, and once it's up and running, you know don't touch it. Leave it alone. Yeah. It's 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 in its dark little corner. It's in an air conditioned room. You know yeah. why? Why do you want to touch it? There, there is no need.
1: Um, well, the, there is a need because there's there's money involved here, right? I mean, like what are what are the business drivers for this whole thing? Like, why are we trying to do this? It's because we want to get changes into production faster for business reasons, right? Yeah. Either either bug fixes or new features. And let's rock and roll, let's get that to production ASAP. Like, why are we sitting on these changes, you know? Peter wrote some awesome code last week, and it's sitting in some, like, queue waiting for deployment next week. It's like, that kind of stuff is nuts, and it has to... I mean, if you talk about continuous delivery and continuous integration, you need uh, a process that, like the one that Docker provides to enable, like, very rapid provisioning of these features,
0: so if let's say there's a, a serious vulnerability that is discovered with whatever base we want to use. So let's say we're using Ubuntu and they discover some serious vulnerability. This, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm making the broad-based assumption here that we would simply amend our, our Docker file to include some command to include, you know, whatever patch has been released for this vulnerability. So let's say something is discovered today and on Thursday afternoon, the Ubuntu team says, hey, here's a patch for that particular vulnerability. You'd pop open your Docker file, add in the command to either app get something or or update a specific package and you just go from there, correct?
1: You're 100% correct. That is exactly the use case. And then the new image gets built and you can say, great, just deploy that image to production, please.
0: So would you change your, your base image, or would you just layer on top of it and just carry on putting layer upon layer upon layer? Um, at, at what point do you start kind of refactoring your layers or by now going a little too too off course?
1: Well, the, I mean, there's two schools of thought here. Like One, um, and, and if you look at what Microsoft and Canonical and Red Hat and these guys are doing is we don't want to start from a big base image. So, you know, there, there are these tiny, tiny base images which are weighing in at around 5 megs. But but perhaps let, let's just pause that for a second and and say, back to the previous question, why is Docker kind of compelling in this sense? And one of the reasons is it uses a shared kernel model. Um, when you boot a Docker container... It, it's not booting an entire virtualized machine for that um, new container to run in. It's just kind of it's sharing the same Linux kernel that's on the host, and it's creating a kind of uh, isolated file system and process space for for those processes to run in. It's still the same hardware, still the same kernel. I mean, they they're talking about. Machine startup time of around fifty milliseconds. Ooh. Okay, that's you know that that's the that's the from zero to to running machine fifty millis. Like that's very very compelling. So th- these little container things are incredibly lightweight. They're super easy to start. They're super small. If they don't work, you just kind of throw them away or start them again. That is that is not an overhead on. Uh, you know, on you as a developer. Like deployments on, are very easy. They're very, very straightforward. There's there's nothing stopping you from, from deploying them. So people, are, a lot of guys are not starting from a big Ubuntu base image, which is not, you know, if you look at the Ubuntu base image, it's 250 megs. And it's got all sorts of stuff in it. Why do you need that? You probably don't. Right? You probably want very lean, very focused uh, images that just do kind of the the things that the app needs and and tend to be much much smaller. Um, I built a an nginx image off of uh, something called Alpine Linux, which is a very small base image. I think that the base image is about five and a half megs. you add on nginx it comes to about seven and a half megs for a, for an nginx container. That's that's pretty cool, you know. I could send you seven and a half megs via an email attachment, for goodness' sake. <laughs> and there, there's a running machine, you know. I could like copy my website into it and say, "Hey, Stephen, check out the new ZA Dev uh, website. Here is a Docker container with uh, Nginx and PHP and WordPress inside it, plus all the actual content for the site. You just need to start it on your side."
0: So we're that's literally at cool. the point now, of emailing each other servers.
1: <laughs> yeah, like how kind of cool is that, right? That's crazy. You know, you, you you look at, imagine looking at your build server and what you're seeing is a list of machines that you could start. Like that's pretty profound, right? It's no longer like a bunch of DLLs or JAR files or whatever that I still have to go through some like Hickory Piggledy process with Chef and Puppet and Octopus and whatever to get it running. I just can simply click on that image and say, run it for me. Start that image for me, please. You cool.
0: know, 50 milliseconds later, it's running. <laughs> uh, the, the startup time is, is quicker than the load time of most websites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so just looking at the deployment side now. So I've I've got my Docker image file. And I've got my Ubuntu server sitting in the cloud somewhere. And I now want to deploy my app. How yeah. do how do I, I tie that up? So let's say I've got an app that is hosted via Nginx inside a Docker file. And I now deploy this Docker file to my Ubuntu server. I log SSH into my server and I say, cool, Docker run this, which then launches it up. How do I now get uh, connections coming in from the Internet to my Ubuntu server? How do I direct that traffic into the actual Docker file so that it can handle the stuff?
1: Right, okay. So your your Docker file is something that's going to be in development, right? And you're going to produce an image, like an actual binary image. That Docker file produces a machine image
0: does that make sense to you? So I just want to make so when when you say a, 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 a machine image what do you mean like an actual like um so like a like a hard disk like
1: uh, okay. think of the 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 actual disk that the machine runs okay like you you could literally like it's an okay analogy to think of a hard drive okay your docker file kind of dictates what goes onto that hard drive. And you could then DHL that hard drive to me. That's the thing that you're emailing me, right? Mm -hmm. It's a binary image of this machine. Um, Then, like, the the next thing that... uh, So one of the things about Docker we said in the beginning was that it has this kind of layered file system and all you need to do is send the diffs between each other. Mm -hmm. That was a huge breakthrough. The second massive kind of insight slash breakthrough or whatever obvious thing in retrospect that Docker did was they put an API on top of the container runtime. So you've got a Docker client. You run this command Docker in a terminal somewhere, and that's just simply an API client. It's talking HTTP to a server somewhere okay and you you you're sending commands over the ssh you think you're saying hey mr remote server can you tell me how many like docker containers you've got running so i say docker space ps right kind of list all the processes um, i could be on my mac over here um and the the docker server is running inside cloud africa somewhere it's on a an ip address and I just point the Docker client to that IP address, and I query that API. Like, so it kind of seems obvious in retrospect, but somehow we hadn't done it before. That Docker came up and said, "There's a server component, and that server component's actually going to control these little like containers, these little runtimes, and I can talk to that API, you know, from anywhere across the network." Okay. So now, to tie the image into the actual runtime, the piece that I'm missing is something called an image registry. So just like Git, I build my image locally, I'm happy with it, I can then push that image up into a registry. And provided that the server I'm talking to has access to the same registry, I and mean, there's a there's a public one that's run by Docker it's often you can get private ones that have certain features. When I say to that remote uh, Docker host, I say, deploy this image. It first checks, hey, do I have, you know, Stephen's wonderful app image locally? No, I don't. Let me go to the image registry, grab a copy of it, and copy it out to disk, and then start... Uh, a a new container based off of that image. So the first time you hit some of these uh, images that are based off bigger base images, like the Microsoft ASP one or Ubuntu, yeah, there may be a pause while we copy that 250 meg down onto the server. But after that, all we're going to do is copy the diffs, you know, the meg or two out of the registry onto the server and start a new container running on
0: that image. Wow. That works. <laughs> are there any downsides to using Docker? It, I don't want to say security concerns, but you know, it, it sounds. It, I always get very skeptical when everything sounds awesome, because everything isn't always awesome. What are what are the downsides to using Docker? Uh, you know, look, yeah.
1: everybody's gonna everybody's gonna freak out. Um, there's an immense amount of fear in this because, of course, you're changing processes. Uh, we're getting rid of like all sorts of jobs here. You know, it's it's just you know there's there's a kind of horror movie soundtrack in the background here.
0: What happens um, when the terrorists get hold of this technology?
1: Yes, exactly. You know, <laughs> uh, but it's it is without a doubt the future of the way we're going to build things within a very short while. This you 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 just won't you'll 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 tell stories about how kind of crazy it was you know you, that you had that server in the in the corner and it took three days to get it running and that kind of stuff it'll just you know it, it, it's like we talk to our children about having landlines you know they don't understand <laughs> that just that that telephones used to be fixed to a physical place like what a weird idea you
0: know. So I mean, look. If if Microsoft is jumping in and Microsoft is embracing it, then you and yes, lots of love for Microsoft's recent stuff. Yeah, awesome. But you know, when when somebody like Microsoft starts embracing a technology, you kind of know that this is now an established thing. But seriously, so so no downsides to you know besides the possibility of jobs being replaced by. Robots, <laughs> uh, are there are there no other downsides to
2: to using Docker,
1: Peter? You were going to say something.
2: Yeah, I was so rudely interrupted. You guys are mean. I was just going to stop talking. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry, Peter. I'm I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm I'm going to create
0: a Docker image with a hug and I'll email it to you. Oh dear. <laughs>
2: um, no, I was just saying that um, it's all fine and well, but it's. Um, um so i didn't like docker is uh, docker is quite a cool thing um but um there's there's like with great power comes great responsibilities just thought i'd pop that in there so in in what sense is that what do you mean so how can you abuse this hey oh no 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 i'm just saying that um like you're obviously adding a little bit more to the, to the mix that developers are used to. And we always have to remember that people uh, like Stephen actually mentioned it right in the beginning where as a dev used to, Ooh, those are the servers you muck around in it and you don't touch it. So it's it's not about, um, and I know everything is simple, but at, at, so like you're going to have to go through some process to understand what it is. You is. You're gonna learn some new stuff and you're going to muck around a bit and, um, you get as a dev, um, you're gonna have to learn a little bit more about your environment than you previously used to because you passed the buck. That's all I wanted to say.
1: Well, I I think um, what do you what do you say? The the chickens are coming home to roost, you know. Because mm-hmm. having having been on the up side of that thing, I've you know been th- been in so much trouble from developers. Um, and now, like the the focus is going back to the developers. Developers are building the app. They're the best people who, to to build the environment that that app runs in. And you know, it's 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 a much smaller stretch for developers to say what kind of networking, what kind of load balancing, um, you know, what kind of, how much space do you need on the disk, and so forth. We're we're trying to. Uh, as as ops people, we're trying to like you know read tea leaves to do scaling and planning. <laughs> it's it's kind of nuts. So I, I think I think the the biggest kind of risks and and uh, hassles with with getting Docker is again it's going to come down to people and process and like you know have this usual thing where a lot of people resist it and they don't want to do it. But hey. They're just going to, people are going to get left behind, I guess, if they don't uh, start learning and understanding how this stuff works.
0: So, this might come out as a silly question. I'm going to ask it, but in my mind, I'm going to do that as stupid. So, let's say we've got 10 servers that are running an app. So, we're doing load balancing across those those 10 apps, uh, across those 10 servers. Is there any way to set up a Docker file to say, hey, you know, We've got a Docker image, but this Docker image is going to talk to that Docker image over there, or has that just come down to just good old IP routing that when you deploy an image, you know it's going to be running at a specific IP, and it can just go and play nicely? Um, no, so
1: that is being built into Docker now. There are, there are a couple of tools in this space. One is called Kubernetes. It's been outsourced from Google itself, who... You know, had this thing called the Borg and they have to have ways of orchestrating your your 10 web containers plus like three or four load balancer containers plus the database, you know. So maybe there's 20 or 30 containers all in by the time you finished saying what goes into my application. Now, that might not and probably won't all fit on one physical machine. There might be three or four physical machines involved here. In fact, you might want to get more specific and say that the machines that are doing database stuff, I want to deploy them on servers that have uh, better I.O. The machines that are doing the load balancing, which just kind of all runs in memory, I don't care about disks. Who cares? They can just run anywhere. Um, You know, the the machines that are running the web stuff, I want them on faster network connections or, you know, closer to the internet. Um, Yeah, Kubernetes, uh, Docker Compose, and there's there's a fleet and swarm, and there's a whole lot of tools in the space which are now talking about multi-container stuff. Like, how do I wire all those containers together? Um, Logically, I want container one to be able to access container two. But then I can leave the the actual deployment decisions up to the runtime platform. So once that runtime platform's been set up, that platform will just figure out you know, like all the network routing and
0: stuff by itself. What you're trying to tell me is soon we can actually be emailing each other an entire networked production set of servers, not just what. Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, and including including the topology of those servers. So if you look at something like Kubernetes, it's got a big JSON file essentially that says, right, these are the load balancers, these are the web servers. The load balancers must be able to talk to the web servers and so on. Um, so yeah, you email me those images and that JSON file, and hey, there's your entire system and its runtime architecture. It's, it's way cool.
0: So that is exciting and terrifying all at the same time. You know, there's that, what's that, what, what's that saying? You know, it, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So at this point, we were saying earlier, you know, well, you know, ops team isn't really needed anymore. Like, I kind of think that they still definitely have got a place because if somebody says to me, hey, would you mind setting up the load balancer, this or I'll be like, what? I don't know how to do that. That's not, you know, that's not the type of thing that I learned. So, I mean, maybe this is not only something for the devs to be learning. This is something that the ops guys uh, need to be digging into as well. Because, I mean, I'm pretty sure that if we spoke to an ops team and say, hey, you can basically deploy an entire topology, that would get some guys pretty excited. Well, sure. And, and of course, they want... uh to
1: kind of control the the micro stuff that's going on inside that stack, which is going to become harder and harder to do. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's I, I think that's the problem we're talking about earlier when you try to deploy the stuff that's going to have a lot of knock-ons organizationally. People aren't going to be that comfortable just uh, kind of letting go of a certain level of control.
0: Yeah, but still like the, the the everything behind this is just awesome i, I really so docker is one of those things that i've been putting off that like yeah i definitely need to check it out and see what it does but it's one of those you know there's that and about 12 other texts that technologies that i want to check out so this one's kind of been upgraded a little bit i'll have to i have to try and make some time to, to check it out um
2: Peter, are any other questions from your side or anything else that you want to touch on? No, no, this conversation flowed quite nicely. I really enjoyed listening to you guys just hash it out. Yeah, you like, you, you
0: said hi, and then like 40 minutes later had something else. I feel like I
2: dominated <laughs> everything, I'm sorry. No, 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 this is really good. This is really good. What we should do is we should have a... Follow on show um, and just chat about all the things that um, are similar and around it. Things like um, you guys spoke about um, looking at your whole topology and your whole um, environment. So, um, the guys from HashiCorp are doing some awesome work around that type of stuff. Uh, For instance, um, stuff we haven't mentioned here. Um, One of them, uh, one of the stuff is Vagrant, Um, you have Packer and Terraform. So it would be awesome to have a follow-up show and just chat about those things as well. Maybe if we twist Gabriel Fortuna's arm, he'll join us on that one. I'm sure he's
0: also got some experience with that. Um, I, I haven't gotten to hear his um, his test-driven infrastructure talk. Dude, it's it's happened three times, man. <laughs> yeah, and and every single time it happens, like something else comes up on my side. It yeah, feels like yeah. I'm to say he's giving it a JSNSA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, Lynn, anything else you want to touch on that we haven't mentioned now? Well,
1: it, this is something that came up at the at the Docker chat as well. Was um, and and it relates, I think, a little bit to what Peter's saying, but more along the lines of how do you lay out an application? or do you have big Docker containers? which have a database, you know, they're pretty much a copy of how our applications work today, or do you start going for this quote-unquote microservices kind of approach and, and where where's a reasonable place in the middle of that? So it, it's kind of less to do with Docker, because in a way Docker doesn't care whether you're starting gigabyte containers or five meg containers. That's all the same to Docker. But how do you start building your application Better to take advantage of the containers.
0: Yeah, I think that could be quite a rabbit hole too, because there it all depends on oh, so many different variables. This, yeah, that's huge. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to kind of uh, you know stop that
1: conversation at the Docker meetup because yeah, well, uh, that's an architecture discussion, but it's very relevant.
0: No, it definitely is. But I mean, you can that is. It, to me, that's very similar to the whole, you know, should you go to university, because then you've got the, the, the dev guys saying, well, we need to structure our app in the following ways. And then you could have network guys going, no, 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 but you haven't thought of this. And the app guy, the dev guys going, yeah, I don't care about that. You know, you've got, you're going to have that back in front, that that back and forth Um I, I yeah, and I is. guess the
1: way it's going to manifest now is it'll be, uh, you know, your production team or your SREs or whoever going, listen, dude, you keep shipping me, you know, 700 meg containers, can't you, like, make them smaller?
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Um, Len, thank you very much. That was, I, I've learned a lot more, a hell of a lot. Um, and Docker is a lot more than what I thought it was. Yeah. Now I really wish I had paid attention 18 months ago. <laughs> oh, it's, sure. it's a long learning curve, man. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> um, Peter, any, any picks that you've got?
2: Um, so I think I did mention this before on this podcast. Uh, the two picks I have is something I think um, Dave should seriously look at if they haven't. Um, one of them you actually did mention, Vagrant. Awesome setting up a little um, dev environment. And you can use that in conjunction with something like Packer, um, which is another awesome little tool, um, and then Terraform for setting up uh, or managing your environment um, using like scripts and stuff. So um, those guys, uh, those things are all from HashiCorp. Uh, you can check them out there. Then
1: um, DockerCon was on Monday and Tuesday, so the keynotes are up on the web at DockerCon. Um, yeah, go watch them. There's some very interesting stuff that's happened in Docker in now, including ZFS support. Yeah.
0: Including what? What is that?
1: That is ZFS. Maybe maybe we need an episode on modern file systems.
0: Okay, awesome. Uh, that, that sounds like a good idea. Um, my picks for this week, I had two. I was thinking about them earlier, and I've forgotten one of them. My first pick uh, is the videos from NDC in Oslo have been published to Vimeo. Um, I always get a lot of uh, a lot of uh, benefit from watching the stuff at, at NDC. The talks are always are always very very good. Honestly, gone and forgotten what. Okay, well I'm going to throw in and say Space Max. Um, I've I haven't had enough time to dig into SpaceMax. The little bit that I have um, dug into has been has been fascinating. And one of my one of my colleagues at work has been he's gone whole hog into SpaceMax, and the stuff I've seen him doing has been incredible. So as much as I've knocked Lisp, yes, Len, as much as I've knocked Lisp over the last while. Having um, seen like Emacs Lisp has actually been very interesting, and it it looks exceptionally powerful. So the little bits I'm I'm getting to do I'm enjoying, and you know having learned Vim hasn't been a complete waste, right? Uh, because you can still use you know the Vim ideas with within within um, SpaceMax, but yeah, definitely SpaceMax. Um, well, and and by the way, we've
1: got you on record like uh, professing your love for Lisp. So you know, that both yeah, failed. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> that's that's fine. That's fine. I've actually got a Lisp book on my desk right now. Woo! Which one? Which one? You what you now, got? It's old. So don't get too excited. It is Lisp Third Edition by Patrick Henry Winston and Wow uh, Bert Holt horn i'm just curious to see when this thing when this thing was actually publi- published that sounds like least... one of the wits uh, computer science books actually ah uh, it's uh, henry winston I, I remember that yeah i've been having a quick look through it and it's quite interesting but I mean, the pages of our have actually yellowed on this that's how <laughs> old this book is 1989 there we Woo-hoo.
1: go
0: yeah so i was four years old when this came out. Um, your grandfather's
1: yeah. parentheses have been handed down to you, my
0: friend. Apparently so. Apparently so. Okay. Well, awesome. Thank you very much, guys. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, very important announcements. Um, for, and I'm going to put this at the start of the show as well. I'm going to put it again for, for like, the fact that this is super important. We are changing our podcast feed um, we are moving away from the Podomatic hosting on www.zadev.co.za. Um, all podcasts will be um, hosted there from about the next week or so. Um, I will, will give notice on this episode and the next episode. So we're pretty much giving a month's notice because we've still got the previous episode we recorded that hasn't come out yet, so. Anyway, basically, at the end of July, Podomatic um, ZA Dev Chat will be switched off. That feed will be deleted out of the iTunes Store, and we'll publish we'll publish the new one um, from the zadev.co.za website. Yeah, that's it. Cool. Thank you very much.